Welcome to the Hidden Entrepreneur Show. My name is Josh Carey. You want in on a little secret? I was in hiding for 40 years. Yeah, I was hiding every part of myself in every situation. And I can tell you one thing, hiding sucks. I'm now on a mission to help extraordinary people like yourself rediscover the world around you, connect beautifully with others, and excel tremendously in all you set out to do. Join in. It's The Hidden Entrepreneur Show. Thanks for tuning in. It's Josh Carey, of course, The Hidden Entrepreneur Show. I'm sitting here with Chris Duffin. Let me spell it out for you this way. Chris went from bodybuilding to building a business empire. And in such, he has become a superstar in the world of fitness. And certainly from the short conversation we had, even before we went on the air, a superstar in life. It's my kind of person, my kind of conversation that we're about to have. Welcome to the show, Chris. How are you doing today? Thanks, Josh. I'm uh, really looking forward to having some good discussion this morning. I appreciate that. Now, I know as soon as we hopped on together, we were talking about, man, it's the, at the time of this recording, it's the first Monday of the new year. The future is bright, we were saying. And then I said, you strike me as the kind of person that thinks, when isn't the future (laughs) bright? What do you, what do you say to that? Uh, yeah, it's, it's one of those things, like, even we look in this environment, like everybody's like 2020 was terrible. And yeah, we've all had struggles. But for me, I I can't think of a year in my life that hasn't been better than the prior year. Mm. Like it's, it's always building on itself, you're always building the next levels and layers. And uh, yeah, like Monday, it's my favorite day of the week, you've got this whole week ahead of you, like you should be rolling in it with you got your plans, your excitement and all about all your stuff. And uh, yeah, it's the first Monday of the of the new year. So it's always new beginnings, this fresh start, like, so many people think about the the complexities of their past and the trappings and that creates this mentality of, of who they are. And like in this world today, you ask a lot of people like, who are they? And they'll tell you this story of like, I'm this way because mm. my business is struggling. I grew up with alcoholic parents. I have a, a bad back and I'm going to be this way forever. They're like, all. I'm just giving some examples, right? But it's always these these things, this environment that defines who they are. And it's like the past and these experiences and all that. Yeah, they they feed into to you, but you're... You're today, you're right now, you're defining yourself right now, every step in, in, in the rest of your life. And it's this, I don't know how to explain that, but it's your definition of oneself. And it's a big thing for me is your reaction and responses, you know, to your history, to your environment, to the things that are happening, not those things. And today in the now is the only time that you get to express that. So that is the essence of living and growing, right? Is yeah. it is that. And uh the only time that we have that is right now in the moment. And so so yeah, I'm excited every new beginning of new year, every beginning of each day, every every yeah. new week, every like it's it's it, it's uh it's the power of now. Um well Eckhart, right? I mean <laughs> Eckhart Tolle, the uh, the power of now, incredible book, incredible message. I'm glad that you brought up um, new beginnings, not just to the new year, but to each and every day, right? Because every moment we wake up uh, should be able to find gratitude in that and then have a chance to to be better than we were. Like how you said, you're, you can't think of a time when your your current year wasn't better built upon the previous year and it can be said for for days right like each day when you wake up you should you should be figuring out how to grow and improve upon what you did the day before yeah it's the essence you mentioned in the intro you know i'm uh, my my background is fitness right and yeah. training training the body right and so everybody knows this thing like you go into the gym and you train, right? And what happens? You get bigger, stronger, 
or my term, the word I use is resilient. You become more resilient and become more resilient. What? Because there was stress that you imposed and you adapted to. This is the human condition. Now, now what happens if you break your arm and you put it in a cast? What happens six months later when they cut that cast off? Your arm's smaller. It started to atrophy. The process of death, decay, mm. moving backwards happens instantaneously. So that really means that like living is the process of having things and stress and things, challenges for you to overcome. Because if you don't, I'm not, it sounds like I'm over speaking, but this is basic human physiology. There is no argument for this. This is scientific fact. So if we don't have those, we start becoming less. We start towards this process of death, essentially. And, and it's not just, I just spoke to the physical nature of this, but this is the, our response to everything as human beings. So mental, emotional, all these things, we need to have these challenges in our life. And so this is something I, I really try to push people towards is understanding that if you don't, like as humans, we're always trying to find comfort. As a business owner, I'm going to get to that point of being successful and kick back uh, by, a, by an island, you know, in the Caribbean. And, and that's the, the ultimate dream and then have nothing. You actually don't ever want to end up there. You need to have that because like they said, if you did, you know, five hour workout seven days a week, what happens? Well, the same atrophy and breakdown process starts happening just in a different manner. You've mm -hmm. got to have a balance of like challenge and time to recover. So don't get me wrong. I'm not like, you know, burn the candle on both ends, hammering it, you know, 24 hours a day, the whole hustle grind in the entrepreneur world, you know, work, out work, work, work yourself to death is, is the wrong approach as well. It's, it's a little bit of using those two in concert with each other, but you have to be challenged mentally physically, emotionally, in your life, or you're going to move backwards. This is basic human physiology. This is how we become more resilient. And this is like my motto at Kabuki Strength is live better, living better through strength. And that's what I mean by that. Mm. Strength and resilience are the same thing. We build it as an adaptation to the challenges in front of us. And the, the workout is is the easiest way because people understand that oh yeah yeah that that's what happens like yeah but it, that's everything in life that's everything we do in business that's everything we do with our family or relationships and we yeah. we lose track of that we try to find let's sit back on the couch and watch like we're trying to find this comfort you know and uh that may be not the best thing for us if there's anybody who knows anything about strength i'm guessing it's you uh, having you currently hold a Guinness World Record, holding a handful prior, which have, as you said, since been broken, but your current one, the current Guinness World Record, is for the only person to have ever squatted and deadlifted a thousand plus pounds for reps. Yeah. Why? So, so why? Why was it important? <laughs> to you to get this what was the yeah. motivation there <laughs> yeah oh my god i actually just filmed there's a documentary on my life being filmed by the way it's it's actually kind of about this whole process uh so a lot of this last year is on uh, in awesome. film and it'll be it'll be out at some point and Great. uh just this weekend i covered some of those deeper motivation pieces uh on this but let me clarify the the deadlift portion yeah. is the sumo is is the is the guinness world record uh, the squat didn't count as a world record just because of how the technicalities, but regardless of records, unofficial, gym yeah. lifts, any any circumstance <laughs> whatsoever you put it under, no one else has ever squatted and deadlifted a thousand pounds and particularly definitely not done it for reps. There's people that have deadlifted a thousand pounds, like, you know, people know uh, um, Eddie Hall and, and Thor from Game of Thrones, and there's a couple other people. Um, I hold the Guinness record cause I did it in a particular style. They did a different style, hmm. uh, of deadlift. And then the squat, there's again, another half, you know, half a dozen people in the world that have done that over time. Nobody does both. Wow. And, and, and that's the reason I wanted to do it. So there's a, well, part of the reason there's much more to it. Like this has been my life is being in leadership roles. And as I learned being in those roles, being responsible, I started a lot of this stuff like inspiration and things.
things like that just really early. It's covered in my book. I ended up uh, raising my siblings, bringing them out of the, the circumstances they were. And then, you know, as I started getting into things, all of a sudden I was running businesses and I've always been in this role. And a, a key piece in, in leadership for me is finding and helping people take on more than that they thought was possible themselves. And as they do that, it brings them about this engagement and this change in their life and perspective on so many things as they step into this fearful place, this place of, I don't know if I can do it, and then actually succeeding and overcoming it, right? But I like, I like walking the walk and I always have, right? And so I'm like, I just want to, at the time I was, this is when I was walking around away from my corporate career. I'd been turning around businesses and selling them and doing this stuff for other people. And I'm like, I'm going to start my own business. I retired from basically competitive powerlifting, which is uh, I'd been doing, I was a top ranked lifter, number one in the world for like eight years straight. And I'm like, I want to do something just so over the top crazy. I'm not even, I can't even tell people I'm going to do it at the time because I'm going to, you know, really temper down the goals and say, I'm going to deadlift a thousand pounds. That's all I'm going to leave it at. <laughs> right. I didn't tell them I was going to do it for reps. And I was going to come around and do the squat and do the squat <laughs> for reps. Like it was five years, you know, that yeah. this, so it was like releasing little pieces of it, but I'm like, just so over the top, it's crazy. And again, you know, I'm a person that weighs 260, 270. The only other people that have done this type of stuff singularly, not together, they weigh about 380 to 440 pounds. Wow. So I'm, I'm a little guy compared to anybody else moving this sort of stuff. But I'm, so that's a part of it. It's just like walking that walk, doing the process. And as I'm starting my businesses in one of the areas that I specialize in, I've got an engineering background. That's where my degrees are, engineering and, 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 and master's in business. But um, I become a specialist in biomechanics. And one of the pieces that I cover is a quintessential piece is ability to manage spinal biomechanics. So it is the, the largest part, and we don't need to dive into this, but it's the, 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 the largest global impact on our body. And so it's, of me, the, the highest priority. So this is the stuff I talk about all the time. And I've, I've herniated my discs. I've been, had to relearn to walk before. I know the negative sides of this, but I want to show people that it doesn't have to hold you back. And if you learn this stuff, you can do this. And so it's tying this one over the top crazy goal with actually what I do and teach because the squat and the deadlift are the ultimate challenges for the ability to manage torso stabilization, spinal biomechanics, right? So it ties in there, right? And and, and so putting all that together is just a big component of, of what it just wrapped it into a little bit of a bow when I also was able to take this and go, well, I'm no longer competing. So everyone, every time I do this, and there was like several little feats of strength along the way that I did as well over the course of this year, all tied into it, were fundraisers for things. So I was able to use my platform, my, you know, huge social media presence and media and all this stuff to raise awareness for things that were really important to me. So uh, a couple of the main charities that we fundraised for during the course of this and the grand goals uh, is the, the name of it. I don't know if this is video, but I've got my grand goals shirt on today or one of the many. Uh, we're raising money for homeless mothers and also children uh, of abuse or sexual abuse and things like that. Um, and so it just make this incredible package. It ties into my experiences and things that I dealt with growing up uh, and helping give back to that. It ties into this ability to inspire and motivate and walk the walk, as well as physically into the world of like what I do and teach as I'm founding my businesses and things of that nature, right? And the over the top was like, at the time, there was like two people that had deadlifted a thousand pounds and like, maybe one person that had squatted a thousand pounds and the thousand pounds became the number like grand. It's a grand. It's a thousand, right? It's just, what if, what, what if I could do a thousand twenty? What if I could do a thousand fifty? So what? So I'm like, I'm going to do a grand for as many reps as possible because I don't care if it's like, if I can go a thousand seventy five, it doesn't to the general like population, it just doesn't tie in more. So so that's what kind of wrapped it in this great little bow for me is it is grand goals, man. It's just this overreaching, like go for shit in life. Like take this big, gnarly, crazy goals, the things that you thought of mm. 
and get after it and put it down. And then at the same, you know, the same time hitting those other components. So that's, uh, that's grand goals in a nutshell. One of the things you mentioned was um, you love to allow others to take on more than they thought was possible. Now, my story ties right into that because for four plus decades of my life, uh, the thing that allowed me to now become known as the hidden entrepreneur is because I hid all of my talent and ability, uh, everything that I was really capable of, I hid it from the world because I was insecure. I didn't want to make you feel insecure. I didn't want to rock the boat, all of these reasons. But the frustration came because behind closed doors, I knew darn well what I was capable of. And I know that today, whether we admit it to ourselves or not, we also inherently as human beings know what we are capable of. But why do you think that we resist that possibility of capacity? Uh, there's a lot of things that feed into it, right? Uh, it, it, just the <laughs> the fear of what, you know, just the, the self-doubt. There's always going to be some self-doubt, right? There's the the security of where you're sitting now, right? The It is uncomfortable to go out there and challenge yourself. And just like in the world today, it's like popular to be a critic, to look at people that are tryhards and and laugh at that and be like, I'm so cool. I, I, I'm going to sit back here and be a judger and be a, you know what? Anytime you step into something new, you're going to fail. You're going to have struggles. You're not going to be perfect up front. And that's okay. You've got to be able to, to, to be comfortable with that because nobody that's ever accomplished anything in world in, you know, of value in this world has not been a tryhard at some point. You've got to be that. You've got to step over that. And that is when I, I'm in on the beginning of this, and I was talking about pushing people, you know, fight, you know, the challenge of emotional, physical, mental stress to find it. That that's that is, I call it the practice of living in fear. Like you mm. literally need to be in this practice. Otherwise, you're not you're not comfortable doing those things. So you need to, even if it's minor things in your life, it's an uncomfortable conversation with your, with your brother about something, uh, a coworker so about whatever. I want to, maybe it's just a piece of like, I need to go back to school or that are feeding into these larger things. And you're just like, the career I'm working in is just isn't, isn't right for me do I go take this other job? Well, what if, what if I don't have a job for work for a couple of weeks? What if, you know, I, I, I cause some conflict, you know, with my, my brother, what if all these, you know, that there's all these things that make you not want to do these sorts of things. And what it does is it starts, you feel it in your gut, right? This twisting and turning of your gut that says run away, don't do this situation. And you need to get in the practice of understanding, when my gut's twisting like that, that's actually my signal to do the other thing. It's yeah. my signal. I need to dive in. I need to do this. And then we start getting in this practice of going, being in this uncomfortable space. Mm -hmm. And then those big things become natural mm -hmm. that allow you to go and chase these big gnarly things. And so I love your story that you're telling about being the, the, the hidden entrepreneur because I was this person that was hugely successful in business and all these areas. I had lived in a house with, I had my white picket fence. I had, I lived the American dream, right? And if you read my book, you'll understand how important that was for me. I mean, I grew up homeless in the wilderness, foraging for food and, what? you know, killing animals and dealt with what? all sorts of wild, crazy stuff. And so just like, maybe we can dive into that in a little bit, but. Oh yes, we will. <laughs> but the point we're on now is I was sitting there so successful in all these avenues of like, this is what you're supposed to be. And this is what I had wanted to prove to everybody that I could accomplish this poor kid from the woods could, could get here and do this. And I'm like, am I really doing and living what I want to live? And I sat there and I went, no, I'm, I'm not. Mm. And I've got this job paying, you know, a few hundred thousand a year. I'm sought after for what I do and I'm going to walk away from it. I'm going to, not only do that, but I'm going to throw some upheaval in my personal relationships, uh, friends, my 
relationship with my spouse at the time, like all these things, because for me, Mm. having passion about what I do, passion in my life is a fundamental core value. To have a creative outlet with what I do in business, it's not just the leadership piece, I need to have. And so I started looking at like, what are the really underpinnings of how I want to live? What are my fundamental values? Lots of introspection, I realized I wasn't able to really live my true self. And so I through everything. This is when I quit competitive lifting too. And this is when I founded Kabuki Strength. I ended up uh, remarried to an amazing uh, person in my life now that is the cornerstone of of my life. Uh, Family's doing amazing and built this this business into a a global brand in the matter of years. I mean, we're... well, yeah, let me touch on how, you know, yeah. the, the impact of this company is in just a matter of a, a few years, right? I founded this in 2015. Right now, go get on Dwayne Johnson's profile and start scrolling through. You'll see my products being used by him, Lindsey Vaughn. Um, go on any of, any of your top athletes. If you look at our product line and start digging through their stuff, you'll find, oh, LeBron uses our stuff like in his training uh, at home with his trainer. Oh, oh, so the rest of the Lakers trading line. Oh, actually, 90% of... All professional sports teams are using our products. Like, let's take Major League Baseball. Three teams don't use our stuff right now. Guess what? what? That's going to change. Like, when I say globally recognized brand, we're used in the the U.S. Olympic Training Center. We're used by Tour de France teams. We're used by the NH. Like, the, the World Series champions are on our advisory board. Actually, our advisory board has the best... <laughs> leading spine biomechanist in the world, the most renowned physical therapist in the world, developmental kinesiologist, uh, professional uh, coach, coaches from some of the best teams in the world. Like, uh, we did that in a matter of a few years. That's crazy. What is the product so, or service we're talking about? Uh, both. Uh, so Kabuki Strength makes products that are biomechanically sound uh, strength training. So really fundamental strength training equipment and reinventing kind of what it is. And so. We're known for these specialty barbells. We also make uh, tools that, uh, wow. that are used in clinical and self-care as far as uh, myofascial type work. And we, we do coaching and seminars and education. We actually drop free education for anybody that, that deals with either pain or training. Drops on uh, wow. our Instagram, YouTube, and I think my LinkedIn like on a daily basis. So Kabuki is the company, and then we coach people as well. Uh, so we coach oh. people around the globe, and we've got an amazing education week lined up. The best, if you look, virtual summit of leading uh, uh, people in sports science, rehab, and all that uh, coming in February, first week of February. You can sign up anytime right now, but it's it's bomb. Um, so yeah. That's that's what Kabuki does. I have a couple other smaller companies, Barefoot Athletics. We do minimalist shoes. Again, so I talked about priorities, spinal. Second biggest priority or global impact within the body is foot mechanics. So I address that with uh, barefoot shoes. And then I'm, I'm a supplement junkie, obviously. Training and nutrition come first. And I put out education on those, but I won't lie. I like I, I'm sitting here drinking a little bit of my nootropic and caffeine blend uh, before before uh, before the podcast because wow. yeah, of course. <laughs> but uh, that's a uh, build fast formula. So and this so, company, Kabuki, you you founded the company? Yes, I founded, uh, co-founded. I did it with uh, my business partner. So, right. So yeah. when you did in 2015, and my goodness, what accomplishments to have all of those use cases for the top athletes and um, brands in professional sports in the world, going into it, was that a vision or was that more like, well, this is a great surprise? (laughs) So my vision, my goal, and this is why I made this step, is there's major issues in the world of training uh, that are putting people in pain. They're also not able to get that out. And that's where that's where the value of like what I was doing on the side. So obviously I've been in this environment for a long time. Mm-hmm. A lot of the people in the advisory board I talked about, I had developed relationships and understanding around these principles for a long period of time. And I was actually speaking on the side. Uh, I was doing a lot of, I started, I'm 
self-education is huge, right? So I've been doing stuff in engineering and business for a long time, but the period leading up to this, I was actually taking a lot of uh, high-end clinical courses on developmental kinesiology and other pieces. And so I was getting to know like basically the leading people in the world along these philosophies. And I'm a high-level athlete and integrating together and figuring out how all this stuff works and creating this platform. How do we actually do this? Not in the clinic, but like in the training room, on the field. And, and I really got to the space that I knew that I could have a huge impact on getting people out of pain and living a better life. And so first I was like, well, maybe I should go back to school and become a, a physical therapist or a chiro it so I can express these things. And then I started talking to some of my mentors in the, that are doctors in that field. And they're like, is that really what you want to do? And I'm like, well, no, I don't want to affect this change one person at a time. I want to change the world. Like, I want to go out there and have this big impact. And the best way I can do that is, an is an, as an educator and to address some of the tools that are out there that are not right and don't align with this methodology around how we move and how we load. And so I knew that it was going to be big. I didn't know how soon, how quick, and how fast. I thought it was actually going to be this other way. We'd start and kind of start at lower levels and build up and then it'd be high school and then it'd be college and then it'd be uh, then the pros. And it actually started the work the other way around wow. because the people that are actually out there looking and following leaders and understanding the concepts are the people up there on the higher, like that's, that's their profession. So yeah, I don't wow. remember the metric. I don't know the metric right now, but like uh, beginning of last year, 600 plus colleges we were working with. That's in every single major D1 school. So if you're into, into fallen college athletes, your team's using our stuff, okay? Just so you know. Wow. Uh, and, and, and that's, we started adopting there and then we're finding, well, the people that don't have the ability because they're, you know, overtaxed, don't have the education or so on is, is actually at the high school and other level, which is unfortunate. That's where a lot of the problems start going wrong early. And so we're trying to figure out actually how to get into these areas and be able to help uh, in that manner. But yeah, my goal was huge, nasty, gnarly. And we're still not there, by the way, because oh, yeah. I can't ex tell what my entire goal is because there's, uh, there's Understood. a lot to yeah. it. And there's pieces I don't want to touch on the market yet. Uh, sure, of course. But it is a uh, very large reinvention of the gym entirely, as well as its integration in the clinical space and how the two work together uh, and the technology between the two to support mm. that. Um, so it's a, uh, it's, pretty large overarching goal and yeah. everything that we do are just pieces that have to be created first. What is, what are the platforms for how we look at the statistical data for training and the impacts? Okay. We got to create that. What are the tools that don't exist yet? I, I, I have to invent those and bring those to market. Like there's so many things that mm -hmm. aren't there to create this big overarching piece of how do we change the training space, and not just the training space. When I say training space, this is everyone. We work with people that are working with 60, 70-year-old grandmothers that have never touched a weight in their life. Mm. But, you know, if they can't pick up their their grandkid, they can't pick up uh, uh, groceries, they can't get out of their car, like the same fundamentals roll into place. And so we're through this whole spectrum because it's how we actually move and load in space and time and load is relative. It could be the bag of groceries. It could be the child, the baby. Um, so the stuff that we work in the clinical space. Uh, so, yeah. uh, so that's where a lot of that comes in, but we work with clinicians all over the world. Some of the top uh, clinical uh, rehab facilities are using our stuff, our methodology. Um, you know, our education is used in some physical therapy schools, myself and our coaches uh, speak and lecture at Cairo and physical therapy schools. And so this is, it, it, it's everyone, right? We mm -hmm. all, we all have the demands, right? We get back to this base level of adaptation uh, and stress and load. This is how we, this is how we work in the world. And so anyway, I, yeah. I, I'm, I'm a little bit rambling, but to me, no, it's no, no. really important stuff. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm very passionate about it. <laughs> clearly. And, and I'm here for you. I got your back. So, so you just keep talking <laughs> and I'll keep us on, on path. Hey there, entrepreneurs. Eric Cabral here, founder of On Air Brands and host of the Entrepreneur Circle and Capital Hacking. I wanted to share something truly unique with you that we've created called Pod Max, which is an amazing opportunity to connect you with major podcasts to help you share your fascinating stories with their communities. 
Series. This unique invitation-only event includes interviews with you on top-rated business podcasts all in one day. It also provides a unique networking opportunity with high-performance guests and thought leaders who are authors, coaches and consultants, investors, speakers, executives, you name it. These are the type of people that you need to be around. We also provide industry expert keynotes to hit our stage to share insights on podcasting, investing, marketing to help you take things to the next level. And the cool thing about PodMax is that it has a multimedia agency engine behind it with on-air brands to provide social media promotions before and after the event to share your brand new shows with your network. So hit the apply now button at podmax.co and I hope to see you at the next PodMax event. I want to go back to your upbringing because that cannot get lost, what you just glossed over a little bit ago. Um, so you grew up, you said, uh, at a time homeless and having to kill wild animals for food. Say what? Paint that picture for us. Oh, what are yeah, you really yeah, talking yeah. about? So <laughs> I had this book. It's a best-selling uh, memoir, The Eagle and the Dragon. Mm -hmm. And it's a crazy story, but the story is is more of a way for me to share with you this process, these really fundamental things of how I've looked at life, because I've had a really crazy scope, and I'm going to dive into that in a, in a minute here. Um, but it drives you on this process of introspection and really finding kind of your own North Star to find the Great. values and the way that you want to live. And this is not a quick one-step process. This is a, mm -hmm. it takes years of really peeling back these layers. And so... <laughs> The, the story is a really great way for me to share that. And it also makes it really engaging. And that's why it's a bestseller. So I grew up homeless in Northern California, in the mountains, in the wilderness. I had some parents, you know, I loved them, but really highly intelligent. My mom was going to school to become a chemical engineer. And my father was a member of Mensa. And wow. they... they Mom just cheap for her reasons, which I dive into a little bit in the book. We don't need to get into it here. Yeah. Didn't want to, didn't handle authority well and authority figures and didn't really want to be part of society. She wanted to figure out a way to live outside of the normal constraints and bounds. And so okay. we ended up being raised, me, my brother, and my three sisters, you know, intense in, you know, I, I, I think I start my book with we had beams lashed in the trees because in Northern California, we we're by a, the rattlesnake den. So there's rattlesnakes running around at six years old. I'm being taught how to capture live rattlesnakes, hold them and be able to, to kill them because that's the environment that I lived in. So we want to talk about, you know, looking fear in the face and an ability to stay calm, but wow. respecting the situation. Like I had a lot of these lessons really, really early on. Uh, but we'd climb up, you know, up into the trees at night so the snakes couldn't get us. And, you know, sometimes we'd be closer, like during the, the school year, we'd be closer in. But it might be bucking in home. It might not have electricity or running water or both. And so is this really crazy upbringing in this fashion. When you live on the outskirts of society, there's also, let's say, unsavory characters. So, yeah, I dealt with, lived in an environment of a lot of drug abuse, mm -hmm. alcohol abuse, drug running. Oh, guess Northern California wilderness in the 70s and 80s. Oh, my parents were growing weed for a living. So, you know, there's literally people out there with machine guns, you know, hiding in the wilderness at this time, if you don't know the what that environment was like back in, back then. And these are very uh, smart, like you said, yeah. human beings. <laughs> yes, wow. but not smart and the ability to actually work that there's this piece of crazy that you can be really smart, but have huge gaps okay. <laughs> and like being able to know how to function in society. Right. So this was the four of you intense, your mom, dad, and your, you and your sibling. I had three sisters and a brother. Yeah. Oh, so there were six of you. Yes. Wow. Okay. And so <clears throat> Yeah, I dealt with murderers. I dealt with, there was a serial killer. Uh, there was human trafficking. Uh, there's some really freaking nasty shit, honestly. So just some really okay. messed up whack shit. And uh, we got taken by the state for a while, got back, and then ended up, ended up in Oregon. And parents got out of the drug trade because they didn't want to lose the kids again. But again. we went right back into living in the wilderness, but this time you know, logging, mining, just that sort of stuff. My parents really got into uh, the mining aspect uh, and, 
And so that's, that's how I grew up. And well, I ended up doing very well in school. I was a, a state champion level athlete. I was valedictorian, you know, that sort of stuff. I got a full ride scholar, got full rides academic scholarship and I uh, went to, went to, to school for a dual engineering degree. And I just kind of got in my own world because anytime I'd call home, I'd have to give money and those sorts of things. And I was already, like I said, I was full ride, but I was working full time because I don't have a fallback plan. I don't have the thing. Like there's no, there's no room at home. There's no couch at home. There's no, there is nothing but for me to succeed. And, mm. and so that's the burning the bridges, right? I was Except just thinking I, of that I'm, too. Yeah. I'm, I'm for, I'm forced into it. Yeah. And I, I, I get a hold of home, like my, my, my late sophomore year and things have gotten really bad. So much worse. Mom had a mental breakdown, disappeared. Um, my sister's father was completely, he wasn't anyway. Mm. I had to take custody of my three sisters. So I ended up raising my three sisters while I finished my engineering degree. I did wow. end up, so I ended up, I came up 11 credits shy of finishing my second engineering degree. Um, I was just too, too much stuff going. You know, I was working full time as a, in the window and door business as a manager already uh, in, in manufacturing. I had a business on the side. I own my own house. This is at 21 years old. <laughs> and, and I was dealing with, uh, alcohol problems myself. So I'd kind of fallen into some of the same problems. I, uh, and, but <clears throat> I was raising them and getting them off on their own as, uh, helping them along the process as I dealt with these issues and work in my career, as I got my MBA and continued to accelerate my, my career. And I ended up doing really well in this kind of leadership area. I didn't know why at first, cause I was this kid growing up. I didn't have friends. You know, I was, I wore dirty clothes. People made fun of me. My toes were sticking out the side of my shoes. I lived literally in the trailer down by the river. You know? <laughs> like, uh, let's just say I wasn't quite popular. I didn't really know how to engage and I didn't really get mm -hmm. friends until I was in high school. Okay. And still then like hit a lot of my stuff. People didn't know about me because I wouldn't share. Sure. We'll talk about hiding stuff. Right. Yeah. And, and, uh, uh, somehow I ended up stepping into this area and finding out that I actually did this stuff fairly well, which is a surprise to me because I, I felt I was like this introvert, you know, I was like, not, not socially adept. I didn't really start learning social skills, skills until much later in life, because I just, you don't sure. get that when yeah. you're away from everyone. Yeah. And so I just started falling into it and found that I was pretty good. And next thing you know, like I'm, working along and you know my late 20s I'm starting to get up to the executive level I'm coming in I'm like making major changes to business and next thing you know like I'm running a whole division of a company because it's in trouble and turning it around and the next I get calls from people hey there's an aerospace company over here that what? we need we need we need help with I come in I become general manager what? I take this you know failing company to like world-class performance as the number one supplier for Boeing for quality and delivery from failing, get them prepped and ready and sold. I'm like in my early thirties at this point, like then I'm off into uh, industrial equipment and taking, you know, a, a, a small global or a regional company into regional or a national and then international uh, as far as putting in QA systems and growth and business development and, yeah, that's uh, where I ended up on the career standpoint. So I ended up like managing probably like a thousand different people over the course of this period of time and really having a chance to, to learn a lot in a very short period of time. And I think a lot of it relates back to my upbringing though, because I knew nothing but to find chaos. I'd go into this stuff and I start reflecting on it in later years. I'm like, nobody would have taken that job. Nobody like that's, that's oh. why I got those positions because I, they were not, not good environments to step into. And so. Oh, because I, they were challenging to. Yes. Uh, to an otherwise <laughs> average layman person to be able to on paper fit that role. Yes. And so, and I, I, and I kept chasing, like I knew nothing but to find like, wow. I, that's what I lived in. And when I started getting bored, it's something, if I got bored, I was off and found the next thing. And I'd end up finding these, these crazy things and diving into it. And that's how I ended up with 
all this experience I've looked back on, I'm like, how the hell was I doing that in my early 30s? Jesus. Somebody <laughs> and, uh, in your situation, it seems like easily you could have, now whether you were carrying it or not, it seems like a, a big level of shame or embarrassment could have oh, failed you, but it seems like you made it work. Was there a conscious level of shame or embarrassment? I know you said you hid a lot of that, but did that ever come up? Um, if I did, I think it was, it definitely was self-conscious, right? There's a certain aspect of, yeah, without a doubt, I wanted to prove to all these people, you know, the, the forest service people that would show up and kick us out of our camp from one oh. to the next. You've been here too long. The, the people that looked at you when you walked into the store, because mm. you're dirt, you're those people, you're white trash, you're mm. nothing. You know, the teachers, the everyone along the, along the way, the, the side comments, the, all that stuff growing up going, you know, I'm going to outperform every motherfucking one of you. I'm yeah. sorry if this is a clean podcast, but not anymore. Like, <laughs> but, uh, but, and I did that. And I, I think a big part of that was another part I think was, was just survivor mentality. Hmm. Like my early years, people asked me like, who was your mentor? How did you get out of this? What were you looking to? I'm like, I didn't have exposure to that stuff other than books. <laughs> like, come on. I didn't have sports stars to look up or this. Yeah. You know, like I didn't, oh. We didn't have a TV. <laughs> we didn't have. And, uh, but I, even in the early years, I was the one taking care of my sisters because, you know, parents were out, you know, tending crops or digging rocks. And I was one raising them. I was the one taking care of them. And through college, I ended up same thing. Like mm -hmm. I ended up the, I had to, even in the early years, as I talked about, I was dealing with alcoholism. I was also dealing with depression and other, other issues, right? And I had to put on the face. I had to be there. I had to be present. I had to be performed because if I failed, mm, they yeah. failed. Yeah. And so I think that survivor, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't anything special, you know, about me. It wasn't anything. I did what I had to do. Mm. Uh, given the situation that I was in. But yes, as far as, you know, the shame and the other things, I think those really played a role in that process. But the first part of my book is, is called The Eagle. And it is really this piece of helping people understand that your situation, your environment, all these things, bad shit happens, but you're defined by your actions and responses to those things. That's what we're Period. tying back to, the, to our intro, right? Mm -hmm. And also, it's all about the, also the try hard, the discovering your talents and your abilities in this world and how you contribute, how you can contribute. And it had such a powerful, like, definitely there was a conscious piece of this, right? Because I've got this giant tattoo covering my chest or my stomach and my back. It's two eagles and they're shackled and the chain runs all the way down around my ankle where they're shackled oh, wow. in place. They're, they're trying to fly away, but they can't. And that view, and I had this done at 20 years old. It was, I think about 40 hours into this tattoo. It's pretty big, but it was all to me. It was this message to myself that you can fly to whatever heights you want in this world. You can accomplish whatever you think that you can. The only thing, hold self, hold, the only thing holding yourself back at the end of the day is yourself. And so that's what this first, the first half of the book is about. Now, the second half is the dragon, which is another 40 hour tattoo, by the way, that I got done in my late thirties, so uh, right. As I basically walked away from all that success to potential failure, to pinch, just putting everything on my life, everything in my life on the line, but this giant dragon, it's an Ouroboros and an Ouroboros is this dragon or snake that's eating itself. And it sounds kind of, you know, Gra graphic, uh, uh, morose, whatever word you want to use there, but it's the reinvention. It's the purposeful reinvention of oneself. It is eating the old and becoming the new. And so this dragon encircles it's across my chest, across my arms and shoulders and upper back and wraps all the way around. And it's, it's eating itself. And so that's the book, the Eagle and the dragon. And so the dragon is specifically not the discovery of oneself, but the specifically deciding who do you want to be in this world and becoming that person. 
And so this is I had done right around the time that I was walking away from that career, redefining my personal relationships, putting everything that I had on the line, selling my houses and walking through a divorce and leveraging all my my, my retirement and leveraging myself with uh, with personal debt, putting my name behind it on the business so that if if I failed, I'd be living in an apartment the rest of my life, even going back to my old career making money to pay back everything that I'd put on the line uh, to make this happen. So everything was on the line, my past, my present, and my future uh, to, to launch what I, what I wanted to do and how I wanted to be in this world. And it was, it was to really take some of the stuff that I was living as far as my personal values. And this is what I walk people through in the, in the book, right? Is really understanding these things, this, doing a deep dive and asking yourself, like when you look at the things, especially, you know, it's an entrepreneur podcast. We look at a lot of what we call entrepreneur porn. And it's like, you know, such and such big sales figure. We could pick any name, climbing into their personal jet, getting in their great car, walking into their mansion, right? And, and, and nothing wrong with wanting those things. But ask yourself why you want those things. Okay, because they can mean a lot of different things. Let's say the mansion. It could be, it could be ego. It could be a sense of accomplishment, knowing that you've done something big in the world. It could be security, knowing that if I'm living there, I'm definitely in a situation where I'm taking care of my family, myself, right? But if we don't understand these values, let's say security is one of your key values above the other ones. And, but your want, all you know is the, the outward expression of that. I want this fancy car and this mansion. Okay. You could over leverage yourself to get those things to go, ah, that's what I wanted. I got it. And now you've actually created the opposite of what you want to be. Okay. How you want to live. Now you're in this unsecure position mm -hmm. because you over leveraged yourself. Right. So really understanding these things. And also it helps you define what you want. Like, let's say it's not things like, I want to be an NFL star. Well, there's lots of things that need to happen to make that, you know, natural talent and ability. <laughs> maybe you don't quite have that, right? Or maybe uh, you're playing a game in high school or, you know, uh, some, some flag football with some friends on a, you know, a barbecue afternoon and your knee gets taken out. Boom, done. You're going to live a life of I can't do that. I can't ever be the thing I wanted. If I understand the value, like the, the things behind that, why I wanted that role, why I wanted to be that thing, you could find that there's probably 10, 15, 20 other things that can help you live and express those same values. So it's a really great process to walk through this and understanding that. And for me, like these values, the ones that like being able to, to have challenge and accomplishment, big for me, recognition, big for me, being able to, the, to, to lead and inspire and help people accomplish things that I've talked about. I was getting a lot of this from my existing career. What I wasn't getting was the output of creativity, right? Mm. And the accomplishment piece too. Again, it was making businesses succeed, but I knew that I could help in such a more meaningful way in this world, like making airplane parts, it didn't do it for me, right? But getting somebody out of pain across the world by using some words and having them like get back to life in training and living a bit, that is huge for me, right? And so it's taking those same things that I was able to get out of the leadership piece of it, but now get that in my actual work work, the things that I do. And so it was pulling these other things together uh, and being able to, to live in a more fully meaningful way aligned with how I wanted to live life, right? Yeah. And to have passion, that's huge for me. I needed to be passionate about every aspect of the things that were centered in my life and to bring that in place. And I think this is, especially for entrepreneurs, this is a huge thing to understand because your business should be more than your business. The, that, the, the crazy, amazing things about being an entrepreneur is that you get to have your business be your expression of yourself to create 
the environment, the culture, all these things around yourself that you want to live in and to draw people that want to be part of that to be with you in this process. And that's going to be this amazing thing in your life. This is what an entrepreneur is about. It's not about, I got XX idea on this software that's going to make XX money by such, such date. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> that's, if, if that's why you're in it, you know, go find a, go find a job because you're going to be able to do and actually yeah, have some security and be able to probably do some crazy things in that manner um, to create some, gimmick, some idea, some business process, some whatever, the things that we think about of what it is that makes a business, those are not the things that should be driving you to be an entrepreneur. An entrepreneur is this tie of vision and values and culture and environment, all wrapping that around yourself, your life, the people around you as a business. And that is, to me, my friend, an incredible thing. Chris Duffin, my goodness, an hour just literally flies by. I feel like we just scratched the surface, forgetting about all the value that is inherent in this dialogue. My goodness, we could we could extract hours from so much of who you are and what you've accomplished. Oof, what what a life. And I know that you have so much more ahead of you. I can't wait to follow all of it. Where should the person listening who wants to continue the conversation find you? Okay. Uh, the two places that I interact on uh, social media the most is Instagram. You just type in my name. I got those silly blue check things. Uh, so I'm pretty easy to find. Chris Duffin. It's like muffin, but with a D. Uh, LinkedIn is the other one because I deal with a lot of people in the professional world as well. So those are really great two platforms to follow me on. I'm on Twitter and Facebook and the other stuff, but I really don't interact. I don't, 140 characters doesn't do it for me if you haven't figured that out from this conversation. <laughs> uh, and um, uh, my personal website, uh, all the businesses are listed there. So chrisduffin.com. And there's a link to uh, my book and you can actually get a free audio download of it and another book if you sign up for an Audible account through it. It's a great deal. Obviously, there's a kickback to me if you do that, but I don't care. I think it's a great program. That's why I promote it. Of if course. not, you can pick it, pick it up on wherever. Uh, it's on Amazon and Barnes and Noble, and I think like Target and yeah. you, it, whatever your e-retailer uh, of uh, choice for books, it's there. And again, uh, Audible as well. So, well, I'm a big uh, Audible fan, so I'll certainly be uh, adding it to my to my queue, no doubt. All right. And uh, Kabuki Strength is the, the main business. The, the platforms that I talked about for the free education is uh, Kabuki underscore virtual coaching. Highly recommend it. That's on Instagram or you can find the Kabuki YouTube uh, drops there, whatever your favorite is. Um, but uh, Kabuki Strength is the site. Uh, Build Fast Formula for supplements and barefoot athletics for, uh, for everything foot related, the mm. best and minimalist uh, footwear around. And you can find links to all this stuff on chrisduffin.com as well. Wonderful, Chris Duffin. Absolute pleasure to get to know you. Thank you for coming on, for opening up and showing up exactly how you have. Pleasure to have this dialogue with you. Been a really great discussion. I I appreciate how you did this interview, my man. I appreciate that. And thank you, everybody, for tuning in. I appreciate your time spent. We're going to do it again. Have a great day. Until we do, go get them. Thanks for listening to The Hidden Entrepreneur Show. Make sure to subscribe through iTunes or Google Play so you can get notified every time we publish a new episode. And we'd love to hear your thoughts with an honest review on iTunes. Finally, follow us on your favorite social media platforms to keep the conversation going with Josh Carey and today's guest. Until next time.